0: I've seen people in January go on diets and lose weight. And then in March, not only are they back to where they were, they're heavier than where they were, but that's not the worst thing. The worst thing is that they think they've failed. It's the only industry where we don't blame the diets, we blame ourselves, right? They are the failure. And then when they feel like a failure, that then leads to more compensatory behaviors, such as, ah, screw it, I'm gonna eat ice cream. I'm gonna open a bottle of wine and finish it. Because we don't feel good in ourselves and we feel like failure, so we go and numb that discomfort with whatever our chosen food or drug of choice is. So actually for many people, losing weight and improving their health is actually a self-worth issue. It's how they view themselves. It's do they like the person that they see in the mirror each morning or are they trying to
1: hide from that person? Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today is going to be an in-depth conversation covering topics like mental health, weight loss, healthcare, and COVID-19. We will be talking about managing these, and more importantly, you will learn simple steps that you can do to achieve optimal health. So with that said, I am excited that Dr. Rangan Chatterjee joins me today on the show. Dr. Chatterjee is regarded as one of the most influential medical doctors in the UK and wants to change how medicine will be practiced for years to come. His mission is to help 100 million people around the globe live better lives. He hosts the most popular health podcast in the UK and Europe called Feel Better, Live More. He has written four books that have been Sunday Times bestsellers, including his latest, Feel Great, Lose Weight, which is set to be released tomorrow in the US and Canada. We talk about what led Dr. Chatterjee down the road of focusing on a more proactive approach to healthcare, the chronic consequences of the pandemic that aren't being measured, and his advice for surviving isolation. He explains why you must focus on managing your stress, developing self-awareness, and knowing why you eat in order to lose weight. He also shares simple tools to improve your health in just a few minutes. And of course, we chat about his newest book, Feel Great, Lose Weight, which is a must read. So let's get this conversation going. And welcome Dr. Rangan Chatterjee to the Adversity Advantage Podcast. Rangan, thank you so much for coming on the Adversity Advantage Podcast. Hey, Doug, really, really good to be here. Yeah, I've been a fan of you for a long time, been, been listening to your podcast, been following your content, but I wanted to kind of start off, I guess, with a question with, with everything you have going on. You're, you're best-selling author, you got, you're a radio host, you got the podcast, you're a GP, a general practitioner, you got a family like, how are you managing all of this, like with your schedule and everything to keep your, some level of sanity in what everything that you do?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a good question, Doug. I mean, I know from the outside it would seem that I do a lot and I, and I do do a lot. How do I manage? I think the two biggest things that I, I need in my life to perform are sleep and solitude, mm. right? So the two things I prioritize for my own personal health and well-being are sleep and solitude. So that means really trying to lock down my sleep time every night and having a proper wind down for one hour before beds. I never work late into the evening. I will never work just before bed. I will always try that one hour before bed. It's calm, it's relaxing, it has a different tone to the rest of the day. And then I also really prioritise solitude where I have some time by myself to sit alone with my own thoughts. And typically that's in the morning for me. Like I go to bed early, I get up early, I wake up. I try and wake up before my wife, my two children, so I can actually go and do my little morning routine every day, which just gives me a sense of control. So no matter what's going on out there, I feel that daily routine gives me a sense of, hey, it doesn't matter what's going on out there, I can control this each and every single morning. And I, I find when I get those two things right, I have a lot of energy, I have, I've got a lot more focus, and I've got a lot more ability to do all these things that I do. And yes, I recognize I do a lot. I sacrifice certain things as well. So I don't tend to watch TV, right? So people talk about the latest films that are on or the documentaries and they go, you know, what did you think? I'm like, I haven't seen it. Like I don't, so it's not that I'm depriving myself, I just love my job, right? So my mission is to, you know, it's quite a bold mission, but it's to, over the course of my career, I want to help inspire 100 million people to improve their lives. I want them to feel that they can be the architects of their own health. And so any decision I make in terms of what I'm going to do is, will this impact a lot of people? Could this have the ability to impact lots of people? And so how do I do it? I guess... Yeah, as I say, sleep in solitude and being very disciplined with my time. I'm very focused with my family. So when I'm with my family, my phone is off, my laptop is off, I'm really focused on them. And I'm pretty bad at email, right? So a lot of people get annoyed. I don't get back to most emails I get (laughs) sent, right? And I've had to come to terms with that, that actually I can get to Friday evening and I could have 40 emails to answer. And then I've asked myself a question, Are those 40 emails what I need to be doing now? Or do I want to prioritize my wife and my children? My dad died coming up to eight years ago. And that was a massive turning point for me, like it is for many people losing a a parent. And I've been on a a journey of self-development, therapy, growth, trying to understand myself better. And as I understand myself better, as I clear off these layers, these compensations, this emotional baggage that I've been holding on to, I feel I'm lighter, I'm freer, and I feel I can do all these different things, whether it's writing a book a year, whether it's host. I'm very lucky that my podcast is the biggest health show in the UK and Europe now. BBC Radio 2, which is the largest health, uh, which is the largest radio station in Europe, contacted me a few months ago to, to have my own national wellness show on BBC Radio. And again, it wasn't a straightforward decision saying yes. I went through my filter, will this bring me joy? Will this really nourish me? Will this help lots of people? Can I fit it into my life? So I'm giving you quite a long answer to your question, Doug. Yeah. But I guess I feel the big difference today compared to even two or three years ago is I feel I'm intentionally living my life. So I feel I've, I think through each decision and go, do I want to do this? Have I got time to do it? And I, th- I think it really, really helps that I love my job. I love what I get to do.
1: Yeah, and you, you definitely walk the walk. And I know in and feel great lose weight. You talk a lot about like dealing with the emotional pain that I think leads to people eating impulsively, drinking impulsively. You know, I've been in recovery for for over 12 years, and I know for me, I was dealing with unresolved pain, trauma, resentments, and and shame that I turned to drugs as a symptom to deal with the underlying problem. And I really appreciate not only that you talk about it in, in your book, but that you're opening up now and being like, hey, listen, like I had my dad pass away and I still had to deal with some emotional and mental baggage that I was carrying. And I'm sure it's now set you up to not only be a better father, to be a better husband, to be a better practitioner, to be a better host. It just trickles down in, into other areas of your life where I think we live in a world now which is, this is one of the many reasons why I wanted to have this conversation where it's sick care, right? It's just, we're responding to problems like doctors. In my, my experience, they're not prescribing nutrition. They're not prescribing movement. They're not prescribing gratitude. It's like, take this pill, take this pill, take this pill. And I'm not against medication, but why can't we have a little bit of both? I know, obviously just given your background and and everything that you talk about has helped with your mission, but what really led you down this path of having this proactive approach to to healthcare with not only your own life, but your patients as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've always been this way inclined, right? So as an insecure teenager who didn't like to see his ribs in the changing room mirror uh, in front of all his friends at school. And then that was around the time when men's health started to come out with these kind of ripped men on the front cover. And I would start buying men's health and try and do all the exercises to try and be that person, which really now I know came from a real place of insecurity in terms of who I was and a feeling that, oh, getting those muscles is going to actually in some way make me someone and make me not feel the way I felt about myself. So I feel I've always been, I've always liked talking about exercise, about nutrition. And then I went to medical school, I remember at the time I was reading a lot of Charles Poliquin blogs. yeah, And I was reading stuff that he was talking about type two diabetes and insulin sensitivity. And I was thinking, this is interesting. I'm learning about this at medical school. I'm not being taught anything practical to do about it, but your blogs are giving me loads of practical information. And so as a medical student, I was super interested in learning. I've always been curious, right? I've always I've always loved learning from anyone. I still believe I can learn from any single, every single person I meet, I can learn something from. And so I've always been that way inclined. And I think when I started working as a doctor, I started off in hospital medicine. I did my specialist exams. and. I think, there was this, I think there was this tension there that I wasn't aware of that I've been taught to do things a certain way, but it didn't intuitively feel like the way that I felt we should be helping people. So a couple of big things happened in my life. You know, I mentioned my father. So dad was, he, was in, he, was, he grew up in India. He came to the UK in the 1960s. The British government were recruiting lots of doctors from India at that time because we didn't have enough doctors in this country. As so dad comes here, he works his whole life, he overworks, and when he's 58, he comes down with lupus. So the, the autoimmune disease, lupus, his eyesight fails, his kidneys fail, he goes on dialysis. So dad's on dialysis for 15 years. And I moved back from Edinburgh, where I went to medical school, back to the Northwest of England to help care for my dad. So I was a carer for my dad, along with my mother and my brother for 15 years until dad died almost eight years ago, that taught me a lot being on the other side, being on the patient side, being in hospital, waiting for someone to come and see you worried, nervous, um, not getting the answers that you wanted from your doctor. So I know what it's like on the other side. Mm. I think the other thing that happened to me is when uh, my son was six months old, he he nearly died, basically. We were on holiday in France. He was six months old. He had a convulsion. He stopped moving. We rushed him to hospital. And it turned out that he had very low levels of calcium in his blood, which was because he had very low levels of vitamin D. And the medicine saved him, right? Great. But when I asked him, well, what about the consequences of this? What about the fact that he may not have had vitamin D for the first six months of his life? And I said, oh, don't worry. Everything's fine now. You guys can go. And as I was reading more, I was thinking, well, hold on a minute. Could this be why he's got eczema? Could this be why he's got allergies, given that vitamin D is critical for the immune system? And the guilt that I felt of what happened to my son, even though it wasn't my fault, right? But I took it personally. I felt wrong with all your education. You've been to neuro-medical school. You've You've done your specialist exams, your general practice exams. I've got a degree in immunology. I thought with all these so-called boxes of success, I couldn't prevent my own son from nearly dying from a preventable vitamin deficiency. And if I'm honest Doug, that changed me. We left hospital and I made myself a vow that day that I'm gonna get my son back to full health as if this had never happened. And so I became obsessed. I would read about nutrition every night. I'd read about vitamin D, I'd read about the gut microbiome I would study and then I started going around the world to learn things that, yes, was there about helping my son. But as I learned them, I applied them with myself, with my family, with my patients. And I find that I'm using less medication than I've ever used before. I'm helping people more than I've ever used before. And so I guess there's a lot more I could say, but those are two quite pivotal incidents for me that really shaped me as a doctor. And really, I'm, like you, I'm not against medication. I just think we overuse it. No. We're overusing medication. And actually, we don't give patients a choice. Sometimes a patient comes in, let's say, with a severe headache, right? A migraine, right? I want to be able to say to them, hey, this is what I think is going on here. Now, one option is I can give you some drugs that are going to help get rid of that pain. They're likely to help with the pain. These are the side effects they could give you. But also I've detected there's quite a few things in your lifestyle that I feel are contributing to this, right? Would you like me to help you pick what those are and help figure out a plan and how we can start tackling that? If that patient says to me, doc, I'm not interested, just give me the medication, I will respect their right to make that choice. But you know what? Most people, if you give them the choice, they'll say, oh, is there something I can do? Oh yeah, go on and tell me. I'd love, to, I'd love to hear what I can do. And so I'm about patient choice. At the moment, I don't feel we're giving our patients choice, we're pushing them down one path of medicine. And as you say, that's sick care, it's like name the problem, give you the drug, send you out. Now if that works for you, great. If you have an acute problem, that may work. But for most of these chronic problems that I see now, whether it's weight loss, whether it's anxiety, depression, gut problems, migraines, insomnia, Whatever it is, 80% of what we now see as doctors is in some way related to our collective modern lifestyles.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so true. And I appreciate you kind of opening up and getting vulnerable and sharing that. And I'm always blown away by how many incredible missions, purposes, and careers get, get made from adversity, get made from pain and get made from times where there was some massive setback in people's lives and just kudos to you for taking those moments and being like you know what i'm going to take these times in my life that were really dark that were probably traumatic that there you're, there was probably an intense amount of shame from your background in medicine and i'm going to use it to help not only myself and my family but i'm going to help masses i mean hundred million people is a, is a big goal and i think you'll definitely get there just based on the trajectory and your passion you're just i can just feel it through my veins as you're speaking how heartfelt you are about this and i really align with what you say because i know a lot of what you talk about in your book you got to you got to feel better right you got to feel good about yourself you got to know that you have to deal with the underlying issues in your home the underlying issues in your soul the underlying issues in your mind in order to live a healthy and prosperous life. And I know right now in the UK, especially people are struggling. Yeah. Tons of isolation. I'm sure. I mean, I, I, I can only speak for the US. I know suicide rates here, are incredibly high drug addictions going through the roof, alcohol sales, you name it. How, what's going on in, in the UK with the pandemic and how are you, what advice are you giving to people either that you're closest to through your content and even your, your patients on how to make the most of the isolation so that they can be healthy in the best way possible?
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, just as we record this conversation, we are in a full national lockdown. So these are the most severe restrictions that we've had. We've had them three times now. This is the third time. The first time we had them in March and April in 2020, it was a very different experience. We were coming into spring. The weather was fantastic. It felt different. And I think this time it's in the depths of winter. It's dark, it's cold. People have had a year of this, of these restrictions in some shape or form, and people are really, really struggling. I feel, I find that, you know, my second book on stress, I wrote about something that I call the personal stress threshold and how we've all got one. And actually, it's when we get close to that threshold, that's when things go wrong, that's when our back goes, our neck goes, we get angry, we fall out with our partner, we shout at our kids. But we often think it's the last thing that happened that tipped us over, but we forget about all the what I call micro stress doses that have been building up that have got you closer and closer to your stress threshold. And I feel at the moment in the world, certainly here in the UK, Many of us are operating very, very close to our stress threshold. We're waking up there. So that means we've got very little headroom, very little resilience to deal with things. And so what do I advise people to do? Because like you say, mental health problems are rising. Suicide rates are rising. This is the the cost of the pandemics that are not being measured. I and mean, it's really... It's something I'm very passionate about that it's, it's like we do in medicine. We look at the acute things and we study the acute things. We're not quite as good as the chronic stuff. And I kind of see the same thing playing out at the moment. We're focused on one thing with a, with a huge, narrow focus. And look, I get that. I understand why we might want to do that. But we are, we're neglecting all the chronic consequences that may occur on the back of this, whether it's our mental health. You know, people are worried about their job. That economic hardship and stress is putting strain on relationships. People are going to be breaking up. Families are going to have real pressures and strains. Kids, I mean, what is it like being a kid growing up through this? I think it depends on your age. I think if you're a teenager, this must be very challenging at that time when you're all about your friends and your social networks. Whereas I feel with my kids, 10 and eight, I can just about shelter them from what's going on. I feel, only time will tell if I've done a good job or not, but I feel it's a bit easier with the young kids. But what do I recommend, people? Well, it depends what you're doing, but I always say to people, control what you can control, right? I mentioned to you I have a morning routine every morning. What I say to people is, think about your health in three parts, mind, body, and heart. Can you spend five minutes a day on each one? So mind is like your mental health, so, Can you do something each day for five minutes that's gonna help improve your mental health? That could be a breath work practice. It could be meditation. It could be a yoga flow. It could be journaling for five minutes. Something that just helps you process things in your minds. Can you do five minutes each day on your body? And that means your physical health moving your body. Sure, you get outside and go for a long walk, fantastic. But even a five minute workout, star jumps for 30 seconds, Sit down for 30 seconds, repeat five times. That's an interval workout. You need no equipment, no gym. You're still moving your body. You're still burning off a bit of stress and anxiety. If that's too complicated, a lot of people like dancing. Put on one of your favorite tunes in your kitchen and dance for five minutes. We've overcomplicated movement that it has to have a certain name, certain structure. We have to wear certain clothes for it. And I'm just going to say, just move your body for five minutes a day. And then the final bit is heart. And when I say heart, I don't mean the definition of heart that I was taught in medical school, which was the heart is a physical organ that pumps blood around your body. No, I'm talking about the meaning of hearts that, that poets and artists and lyricists have been writing about for years. What it means to be a human being and that's connecting with others. So I say for, for five minutes a day, can you intentionally connect with another person? Now, if you can't with another person, maybe you can do a gratitude practice, or you can do a journaling practice for yourself. I tell how that plays out for me each day, right? And I want people to think about this like toothbrushing, right? So most people toothbrush for two minutes in the morning and two minutes in the evening, right? Four minutes a day on their dental health. But your dental health is important. Is it more important than your physical, mental, and emotional health? I don't think so, right? So. But we don't give our physical, mental, and emotional health the same care that we give our teeth. Nobody doesn't brush their teeth on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then on a Sunday, they go, you know what? I'm going all in for a one hour deep clean on my teeth. <laughs> right? No, we don't do that. We recognize that a little bit done every day looks after our dental health. And I'm saying we need toothbrushing for everything else. So for me, what do I do for my mind? I meditate or do breath work every morning, right? That's what I do each day for my mind. What do I do for my body? Every morning, I make a cup of coffee for myself, right? So when I make a cup, I go in the kitchen, I weigh out the coffee, I pour the boiling water in, the cafetiere, and I put my timer on for five minutes. In those five minutes, I don't go on Instagram, I don't go on email, I do a workout in my kitchen, in my pajamas. I don't even get changed. Right? It's part of my routine. It's not something I have to find time for. I have coffee every day, so therefore I have a workout every day. Right? I've, I've, I understand the rules of human behavior and I apply them into making these things work for me. So I do breath work or meditation. I do a five-minute workout before my coffee. And then that heart piece is what I do in the evening. I call it the tea ritual. And it's what I do with my wife. So every evening... And we didn't do this at the start of the first lockdown. And actually, we started to feel a bit of friction start to develop in our relationship. But every evening, once the kids are in bed, before we do anything else, we come into the kitchen, we make a pot of mint tea, we put our phones and our laptops away, and just for five minutes, we talk to each other. And the goal is just to catch up with each other. It sounds so simple, but I tell you, when I do it, when we do it, there's more intimacy, there's more closeness in the relationship, even if it's just for five minutes. And so these things are super powerful. And the reason I wanted to share them, Doug, is because I get that life is tough and that people are stressed out. But I'm just saying, even these small five-minute things that we can all do, they make a big difference. We just have to do them.
1: You're so spot on. And I think one of the biggest disservices that people in general i think have done have been not addressing mental health during the pandemic and the impact of isolation long term on people the the financial insecurity depression anxiety the fear everything we're now we've created this new sense of normalcy that people don't even recognize people are just just by default more fearful more stressed more scared they don't even know it and i think you're seeing that in the way that things play out in other areas of their life and i really appreciate you kind of sharing all of that because I think we can have both. I think you can take safety precautions and making sure that you're not spreading or becoming a risk factor for, for COVID-19. But I also think there are certain things you can do and control in the comfort of your own house to kind of put your guard up to protect yourself from suffering mentally, emotionally, and physically and spiritually, if you will, during this pandemic And that's why I I really appreciated not only you sharing what you just said, but even in the context of your book, you talk about in order to lose weight, you need to feel good about yourself. In order to lose weight, you got to feel great with who you are, what you're doing. You got to address the trauma. And one of the quotes in your book, I don't remember it verbatim, that hit me right in the heart was it said something like we used to use food to fill up our stomachs and now we're using food to fill up our hearts. And that obesity and this epidemic that we're in, I mean, gosh, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but here in the US, I think two thirds of people are either overweight or obese. It's probably more now just with everything that's gone on. Yeah. Why do you think it's so important for people to address like that, their, who they are at the core when it comes to being able to lose weight? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Legion. If you're anything like me, you only take the best of the best when it comes to supplements, and you're always looking for those that are also backed by science, use natural sweeteners, and fully transparent with their ingredients. This is why I love the products at Legion, which is also the number one all-natural sports supplement company in the world. I currently am enjoying their vanilla plant protein, which goes into a post-workout smoothie after I work out, or it acts as a quick snack while on the run or between clients and interviews. I think we can all agree that 2021 is a year that we need to make health a priority, which is also why I consistently take their triumph multivitamin and immune support to ensure that I am doing everything I can to feel my best. So if you want to follow my lead and take the best supplements around that have free shipping and a hundred percent money back guarantee, go to buylegion.com/dug forward slash Doug and use code Doug to get 20% off your first order. Again, it's by legion.com forward slash Doug and use code Doug at checkout. Now back to the show.
0: Yeah, the, there's a reason the book's called feel great, lose weight and right. not lose weight, feel great, right? right? It's, it's subtle, but it's important. The narrative is that, you know what, if you want to lose weight, punish yourself, deprive yourself, lose that weight, then you're going to feel good in who you are. When I lose weight, my life's going to be fantastic. I'm going to be able to do this and do that. But actually 20 years of clinical practice has shown me time and time again that it's the other way around. When people feel good in who they are, they feel great in their lives. They have good self-esteem, good self-worth. The weight loss comes as a side effect of that. Now, let me be really clear. You can lose weight in the short term doing a whole manner of different things. You can go and pick up any diet book off the shelf, right? And if you follow it for two or three weeks, it is likely that you will start to lose weight, right? I don't care what it is, most of them will work if you follow it to the letter day after day, week after week. But is that what people really want? Are people really looking for short-term weight loss? I don't think they are, right? Not one of my patients is really looking for that. They always say what they're really looking for It's long-term health transformation. They want to make significant changes that change who they are, how they feel, their energy levels, their self-worth. And I've seen it because, you know what? I've seen people in January go on diets and lose weight. And then in March, not only are they back to where they were, they're heavier than where they were, but that's not the worst thing. The worst thing is that they think they've failed. It's the only industry where we don't blame the diets we blame ourselves, right? They are the failure. And then when they feel like a failure, that then leads to more compensatory behaviors, such as, ah, screw it, I'm gonna eat ice cream. I'm gonna open a bottle of wine and finish it. Because we don't feel good in ourselves and we feel like failure, so we go and numb that discomfort with whatever our chosen food or drug of choice is. So actually for many people, losing weight and improving their health is actually a self-worth issue. It's how they view themselves. It's do they like the person that they see in the mirror each morning or are they trying to hide from that person? And this sounds quite scary, but it really isn't. Uh, that's why I wrote the book is to help people say this is actually once you can understand what's going on here, there are some really simple things that we can all start to do that are going to make a difference now. The other thing to say is that different people respond to different approaches, right? And I split this book up into what we eat, why we eat, where we eat, how we eat, and when we eat, right? I think it's a very novel approach to this topic to go, oh, I didn't really think about it. I thought about food, but I was only thinking about what I'm eating. I wasn't thinking about why I'm eating. And as you say, what I say in the book is we, we used to eat To fill a hole in our stomachs, now we eat to fill a hole in our hearts. When we're lonely, we eat. When we're stressed out, we eat. When we're bored, we eat. When we've had a row with our partner, we eat. And that's okay, once you understand it. What you don't need is to punish yourself with a grueling workout regime, restrict your diet so much that you feel you can't eat anything anymore, because that just plays into the same narrative. The the issue for many people is not what we eat, it's why we eat. So not for everyone, right? And I, and, I, and I want to be really clear on this is that different approaches work for different people. And what I really think my book offers people, which is why I think it's, been, it's only been out for six weeks here in the UK as we have this conversation, and people are absolutely loving it and are finding it so beneficial because I think it's, it's a compassionate approach to this topic and it helps every single reader identify What is the right approach for them? Is it what you eat or is it why you eat? I mean, look, I've mentioned sleep before. Let's just talk about sleep for a second in the context of weight loss. If you sleep five and a half hours a night compared to eight hours a night, right? You're going to eat 22% more calories the next day. That means five days of not sleeping, you're going to eat a whole extra day's worth of calories. So some of my patients, I help them lose weight and improve their health And I didn't touch their diet. I just helped them sleep better. What about stress? We're living in stressful times. Many people have put on weight all over the world in these lockdowns, in this pandemic. We have terms here in the media, I don't know if you guys do as well, Corona Stone, the quarantine 15, right? Super common, right? But let's look at what the data tells us. Nearly, well, 45% of us eat more in response to stress Right? So if you're eating more as a way of managing stress, you don't need a new diet. You need better help managing your stress, mm. right? But we don't think about that. We go, right, I need to lose weight. I'm gonna cut out the sugar. I'm gonna do this. Hey, I'm all for healthy eating, right? I promote it all the time. I think, I think what we eat is very important for our physical and our mental health. But I think people have been trying to change what they eat for long periods of time and many people find it really, really challenging because they're not addressing why they eat as well. And I think maybe why we eat for many people is arguably more important.
1: I, I, I agree, thousand percent. And I, I didn't go and count every page about how long each chapter was just reading the book, but I, it seemed like the why section was much longer than the others.
0: It was, it's a great point. I wanted them all to be the same, <laughs> but I thought that I've got too much to say on why. Yeah. And, I, and I wanted to put why at the start of the book but I didn't, actually. I went with what we eat first. Yeah. And that was, that was purely because I thought, you know what? We're so used to being spoken to when it comes to weight loss purely just about food and what we're putting in our mouths. And I thought, let me just meet people where they're at and walk them through that. But then very quickly move on to what I consider to be the more important topic.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the hardest things for people is they overcomplicate it just as, as, somebody who's a trainer. And I've been a personal trainer now for almost 10 years and, and coach people on this sort of thing that people overcomplicate it just with their own thought process and what they see on the internet. Like they see that, that vegan works for some people and they see paleo and they see carnivore, they see this, they see that and they just jump from one to the next and they never are able to stick with anything because they're just looking for the next best thing. And I love how you opened the book up with talking about the different approaches and you simplified it. Like, I believe that the point isn't to be vegan, isn't to be eat meat. Eat. I think the point is to limit processed foods, yeah, eat right. mostly whole foods, stay away from, you know, excess sugar, right? Soda, junk food. Like, that's what all these things have in common. And I think in the nutrition industry, people have done a disservice by getting really dogmatic about it instead of just being like, listen, like, just eat mostly whole foods. doesn't matter where they come from. Just eat mostly whole foods. Yeah,
0: right? yeah, do, absolutely. And it, it, I completely agree. And, and I was trying my best in that section to bring some of these dietary tribes together. If like, I can listen, look, the truth is, as a practicing medical doctor, I've seen some patients thrive on paleo. I've seen some thrive on low carb. I've seen some thrive on whole food vegan diets. And you see enough patients, or maybe you train enough people, and you go, you know what? There is no one right way here. Right. That works for everyone different people are thriving on different approaches and i always say to people look you've got to find let me help you i can help guide you but you've got to find an approach that works for you your beliefs your ethics your lifestyle your friend network because you have to be able to live this in your actual life some people have a real problem with eating animals from a compassion perspective if that patient comes in to see me, I have to help them within that and go, okay, right, let me help you find the healthiest way I can of eating within that belief. Or another patient, that may not be a concern. I don't feel my job as a doctor is to, nas- uh, is to necessarily convince someone of what they should be doing. I want to work with them. I want to meet them where they're at. I've got my own views, right? But I feel as a doctor, I need to be very respectful of that person's views and not push my own potential belief system or ideology onto them. I need to just be open and listen to the game. What's going to work for them.
1: Yeah. I think people just need to be heard and feel like you understand them, that you understand where they're coming from and just walk them along their journey from where they are. I think so many times in the health journey, we try to walk people from where we are instead of where the client or the patient is right. Like people are in a place where they mm-hmm. have just been in a rut with their health and fitness for a long time They're not going to relate to going to the gym right away five, six days a week or doing a nutrition plan that eliminates all these foods overnight and takes away all these things. They're going to be like, all right, like maybe we just take one small step. Maybe we just focus on drinking more water or maybe it's taking going to the store with them and educating them on how to shop, like just working on a lot of the foundational approaches. And and I got to be honest, I think the biggest foundational approach is the why part. And when I got to the chapter on the why, I was like, okay, I didn't know what direction you were going to head with it. I, but I was like, is he, is he going to talk about like what the calories do for us or what certain foods do? And, but I loved how you just took the approach of like, look at why you're eating things. And if you're craving, like write down why you're craving these foods. How do you feel afterwards? Because you help people develop self-awareness, which I think is key in anything in life you've just nailed it, Doug, for me, right?
0: It's, it's whatever you want to do. But if you want to turn that short-term change into long-term change, you've got to start understanding yourself better. And I feel we put too much in the authority of the expert in life. I really do. I feel we need to be our own experts, right? I want to teach, and I say this throughout the book, I'm going to help you be the architect of your own health. I'm going to help you understand what you need to do, how you need to do it, and what the right approach for you is going to be. And it all starts with awareness. So far too many approaches, I think, are prescriptive. Don't think about your awareness. Just follow my plan. Well, you know what? This ain't my plan. This is not the Dr. Chatterjee plan. I say this in the penultimate page of the book. I say, when your friends ask you what plan you're following, you can tell them, I no longer follow other people's plans because I've been empowered to create my own. That's what I want to gift people, is the, the gift of knowledge and the ability to create their own plan. I can walk their, I can hold their hand through it and help them, but I want them to be in charge and go, yeah, you know what? This feels right to me. This is the right approach for me. That one I tried last year, I know why it didn't work. It was never gonna work. And you mentioned awareness, right? And my favorite exercise in the book is the the three Fs or what I call the freedom exercise, uh, which is feel, feed, and find. And it's a very simple exercise, but I think it has value for all of us, whether we're talking about food or alcohol or social media, I don't think it really matters. It's about building an awareness. So, I mean, the way it plays out for people is, let's say, let's talk about it in relation to food. Let's say you're sitting on your sofa at eight o'clock in the evening, you've got the television on and you fancy some ice cream, right? Because many people have that feeling in the evening. unwinding, their kids might be in bed, they wanna treat themselves. I say, okay, well, let's go through the three F's. Before you have the ice cream, just take a quick pause. You can write it down and just have a think. What am I really feeling? So the first F is feel. Are you hungry for food or are you hungry for something else? Are you lonely, bored, stressed? Try and see if you can identify that feeling and then go ahead and eat it if you want. The next time it happens, go through it, identify the feeling, and then go to the second F, which is feed. Oh, okay. Now that I know the feeling, I'm stressed, how does the snack I'm choosing feed that feeling? Ah, oh, I see, you. I just had a row with my partner, I feel stressed, wanna have ice cream, for 20 minutes I feel better. Okay, great, go ahead and have it. But now you're just really starting to understand, you're starting to join the dots together and go, yeah, okay, that's why I'm eating ice cream. I'm not weak, I'm not a failure. It's not that I don't have any willpower, This is my way of dealing with the stress. And then the third F is find, now that you know the feeling, now that you know how food feeds the feeling, now can you find a non-food behavior to feed that feeling? Oh, so I'm stressed. Instead of having ice cream, maybe I'll run myself a bath. Maybe I'll do a quick 10-minute workout, like an an interval one, or I'll do a 10-minute yoga flow from YouTube. Or maybe what i've I live with my partner, but I am so stressed out with work we've not spent any quality time together Maybe i'll go and say hi and give them a cuddle or maybe i'll cuddle my pet whatever it is right I, I give all kinds of options in the book The point is that the three f's it's deceptively simple because what happens once you start understanding it the next time you're in the same position you're empowered to make a different decision but sometimes we don't go through that process and we think. We wake up in the morning and go, wow, man, I had ice cream last night. I can't stick to anything. I'm such a loser, I'm such a failure. And that negative self-talk keeps you locked in this cycle. So yeah, that three F exercise is one of my favorite ones in the book. And I encourage anyone listening to this podcast to try it out in their own lives on some behavior. It might even be you're spending too long on social media in the evening. Hey, go through the three Fs. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe what's really going on is that you're lonely. You've not connected with anyone properly. And so that hole in your heart, you're now starting to fill with what I call this junk low-grade connection that we often get on social media. I'm not anti-social media. I use it, right? But I do think sometimes we can fall into the trap of actually feeling that it's giving us connection, but it's no way near as good as picking up the phone to one of your really good friends and having a chat with him, it's, it doesn't fill that gap in the same way.
1: Yeah, I mean, totally. And I think the, one of the things that that I heard you say and that you really em- emulate in the book is the process of developing first self-awareness. And then once you develop self-awareness, you feel empowered, right? I think we're always looking for someone else to fix us. You hear that this diet will fix you, quick fix here, quick fix there. And the only person that can fix us is ourselves, And I think once we relinquish control or power onto putting the responsibility on someone else to address what we have going on inside, we we lose every single time because it's just not possible. And I feel that once you feel empowered, you get excited because you're like, wow, I can actually do this myself. I can take a step in the right direction. Then you start taking action, right? Then you start making different choices throughout your day about how you eat, what you eat, when you're going to eat, where you're going to eat, and so on and so forth. And then what I, what I really like too about it, about your approach is the whole reflection process is journaling is writing down, like remembering how far you've come, like, like not how far you have to go, like these different tidbits that you have people do is everything because we live in a world where people are so future focused and they're like, man, I don't have this. I don't have that. I'm not there yet. I haven't lost this, but what have you done? Like how much weight have you lost? How many changes have you made in your life? How many things have you accomplished in your career? And I, I loved reading your book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think it's going to change the dynamic of how people look at weight loss. And And I think that one of the biggest things that I think the, you address is the importance of changing your the rest of your lifestyle as well. Like you talk about changing your environment and making sure you're hanging out with great people. You talk about changing your mindset, making sure you're talking to yourself in a positive way. You talk about moving your body and it's not just like do one thing. It's like, no, you're not just gonna change what you eat. You're gonna change everything else.
0: Yeah, it's not just coming from one thing. I've always been a fan of this kind of 360 degree approach to health. Like I've seen far too many times people go hard in one area. Like they overhaul their diet for a few weeks and feel great. But then when real life gets in the way and they get stressed and, and they've had a bad day at work, they have no mechanism to manage that stress. And therefore, they go straight back into those old eating behaviors that they were trying to change. Willpower will only last you so long, right? I know we were chatting before that you, you just spoke to BJ, BJ Fogg. You know, BJ is fantastic. And you know, he talks about motivation and the motivation wave and how motivation never lasts Right. So you can't rely. We can all get motivated for a little period of time to make changes for two, three weeks, but we gotta have something beyond that to make it last. And and that's where I think that reflection comes in, as you say. I think reflection is a key part of learning. And it's it's about reflecting on what you've what, how far you've come. But it's also, I think, for weight loss, it's really important to reflect on how you feel, right? Because sometimes You can make these small changes that I'm advocating. I'm not promising people are gonna drop a dress size in two weeks. I'm like, listen, I can help you lose weight, but it's gonna be longer lasting. It's gonna be sustainable. It might be a bit slower for some of you, but you know what? It's gonna be enjoyable as well. You're not gonna feel like you've been restricted and punished. You're gonna enjoy the process. And and along the way, you're gonna start feeling better about yourself. You're gonna have more energy. You're gonna feel calmer and more content. And I want people to pay attention to that. I want them to not, not necessarily focus on the number on the scales. Like, I'd much rather they focus on how they're feeling. Wow, I've been doing this for a few days now, and I've got more energy.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, I feel better about my life. I feel better about myself because these are the ingredients for long term change. They're the ingredients that are going to keep you engaged with your plan when you have a bad day. But if you feel bad about yourself, and you want to beat yourself up, then you're going to punish yourself with chocolate or ice cream or whatever, or soda, whatever it is. And it, and, it, and again, it comes back to what we were saying. It's about feeling great first. The weight loss comes as a side effect.
1: Yeah, you're spot on. And I think as a trainer, the one of the metrics that I don't like measuring with my clients like 100% on is the scale because there's certain things that can can contribute to the scale. Somebody could eat a slice of pizza and because it's full of salt and processed cheese and dairy and all that, they could hold on to an extra five or six pounds of water weight. And if they don't understand the science of caloric intake and knowing that what's a pound of fat, 3,500 calories that they would just think they went up five or six pounds. What's that going to do to their mental health? They're going to feel ashamed. They're going to feel sad. They're going to feel like they're not making any progress. But if you change the narrative and say, okay, we're not going to focus just on the weight, we're going to focus on how's your mental weight feeling? How's your emotional weight? How are you feeling now that you've been exercising in the gym or exercising in general for two, three, four days a week when you haven't done that in two, three, four, five years? You're going to feel better, right? How are the relationships? How's their work-life balance? How's their productivity? How's their sleep? Odds are if they're exercising and and eating better consistently, it's going to improve. So having them focus on different metrics that they can have more control over versus just the scale. And so with that being said, like kind of the last thing I want to kind of dive into is the one thing that I think is going to help a lot of people when they read your book is you don't give them a plan. You help empower them to come up with their own plan within a certain level of guidelines. Like you tell them what to eat and kind of educate them on the types of foods. You talk about when you talk about the eating window and how you can have some benefits from sticking to an eating window. You talk about where, you talk about, obviously, the why we got a lot into and, and the how. But I think that there's a toolbox, I believe, at the end of your book that has simple steps for people yeah. that they can just – It's like simple takeaways that they can just say, hey, this is what you can do every single day to position yourself to feel great and lose weight. So can you talk a bit about the toolbox and, and how the listeners can apply that into how they're living today?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the toolbox – It was something took me a lot of time actually to come up with because I'd, I'd written the book. I'd written those five areas, what, why, how, when, and where. And then everything I do is about practical steps. It's always about, okay, that's great, but can the reader get it? Is it easy for the reader to implement this? Can a busy mother implement this into her life? And if not, I need to find a better way. And so that toolbox was an effort to put everything together in a very simple framework. But what I love about it is that it allows people to personalize it. So it's a toolbox and I'm saying, you need to pick the right tools for you. And the the two or three tools you pick may be different from what your friend picks. And I think that's what's quite different for this book. It's like, look, time-restricted eating, the eating window, for example. For some people, it's game-changing. For other people, you know what? It doesn't seem to make that much difference. That's okay. We don't need to fight, is it a good thing or a bad thing? The question is, is it the right approach for you? And I explain to people how they can determine that and how they can judge that. And so it's a very inclusive book, it's a very compassionate book. The, the toolbox is split up into foundations, which are sort of general principles for well being and life, which focuses on the undervalued skill of walking. I go through walking and actually why I think it's so undervalued in terms of a movement for health and well being and for weight loss which I don't think a lot of people realize. I prioritize sleep. Sleep is a big one to get right. When you sleep well, you're less hungry the next day. You crave less sugary foods. You find it easier to resist temptation when you've slept well. I obviously go through what people should be eating and some tips on how they can support themselves in those decisions. There's three what I call optional boosters. So these are three things you don't have to do, but they may supercharge your progress if you give them a go, the things to experiment with later on, once you've got the foundations dialed in. But then I've got these daily habits. And again, i help people understand. And these daily habits are lift, connect, reflect, right? And I think they only need to take minutes a day. And I'd love to leave your listeners with them. So lift is about saying, listen, every day, can lift something you're going to feel better about yourself and one of the ways i do this i mentioned how i do my workout every morning while my tea i have a strength workout every morning seven days a week while my coffee brews and i know there's different schools of thought about how many times you should work out a week but i'm not using heavy weights i'm just doing a five minute body weight or strength workout every morning while my coffee brews there's lots in the book for people but one tip that i've modified for people who are working from home. Is that where you're living at the moment? Is there a lot of people working from home still?
1: Yeah, there's a fair amount of people still working from home, yeah.
0: Yeah, like certainly this tip works well in the UK. i say if you've got a dumbbell or a kettlebell at home and many people have got home workout gear, particularly from these lockdowns, they all sold out everywhere earlier on last year. I say in the UK, I say, keep it by your kettle or keep it in your kitchen. But every time you go and make a hot drink or you pass in your kitchen each day, This is so basic and easy for people. I say, just pick it up and do five bicep curls on each arm. Right, that's it. If you have three cups of tea or coffee a day, you will lift that weight 30 times a day. Over a week, that'll be over 200 times. In a month, that'll be over a thousand times. And the beautiful thing is in the moment, it will feel like nothing. In the moment, it will feel really easy. You've not really done much, but those little things are gonna help build up your self-esteem. it's going to have what I call a ripple effect into Mm. other areas of your life. It's going to increase your self-worth. and You're going to start making better choices in other areas because of that. So lift. Number two is connect. Can you connect each day for just a few minutes with another human being? Of course, in person is great, but that can be challenging at the moment. But it could be a phone call to one of your buddies. It could be a meaningful text message you send, not just a quick, what time are we meeting? It could be, Hey buddy, I just wanted to say I really appreciate you for helping me move into my flat a couple of years ago. I never actually told you that, but it really meant a lot to me. Whatever it is, that connection is so important because often when we don't have that connection, that human connection, we end up with that hole in our heart that we try and fill later with food. So lift, connect, and the final tip I say is reflect. Always reflect on what you're doing. And a very simple reflection exercise that I outline in the book is every night, ask yourself two questions what went well today and what can I change and do differently tomorrow? Super simple, but it just builds in that awareness piece. It builds in that, what, I really struggled to eat well today. I was exhausted because I was watching Netflix till midnight last night and I was a bit cranky with my kids. Okay. And you can say, oh yeah, despite that, I still managed to make them a home cooked meal. So that's one thing that went well. And then one thing you might want to change is, hey, you know what? Tonight, I'm not going to stay up till midnight watching Netflix. I'm going to get one hour's extra sleep and then tomorrow I won't be shouting at my kids and I won't be craving sweets all day. Very, very simple. But if you do that every day, it takes minutes and you will start to just make these small changes in your daily behavior. Over a few weeks, over a few months, you will literally become a different person with different habits and different behaviors. And that will make all the difference for whatever you want in life with your health whether it's weight loss or not, it's absolutely going to help
1: you. Gosh, man, I couldn't have said that better myself. And I think anybody, whether they want to lose weight or not, is going to get a lot out of your book just because you outline these foundational approaches on how to feel good about yourself so that you can make better decisions in other areas of your life. Because I believe that we make like decisions based on how we feel about ourselves internally. Like I believe our external world is a reflection of how we feel, feel internally. So if we feel like crap internally, we're going to want to eat crap. If we feel like crap internally, we're going to want to hang out with people that make us feel like crap. It's just, I think a lot of the law of, a lot of how the law of attraction works, but you really tried to address the, the core of the problem and say, Hey, like I want to get you feeling really good about yourself so that you can make better decisions, not just with your food, but in other areas of your life as well. And I love that you keep it simple. Lift, connect, reflect. Just do those three things every single day. You'll win long-term. So Ranjan, I wanted to really thank you for taking the time to come on. I know your, your schedule is definitely full these days, but where can people, if they want to buy the book, if people want to get it, where can they uh, purchase it from?
0: Yeah, it's in all the usual places, of course. Amazon seems to be dominating everything these days. You can definitely get it on amazon.com in the States. But also in 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 a lot of the the usual places in terms of bookstores, and if people want to stay in touch and they ask me anything further, they can find me on social channels, Instagram or Twitter is probably the best place at Dr Chatterjee D-R-C-H-A-T-T-E-R-J-E-E, on Instagram at Dr Chatterjee UK on Twitter. Feel free to ask questions if you want, and probably the best place for me is uh, my weekly podcast, Feel Better Live More, which you know, I love doing it's very, very varied. And people that are interested that can find feel better live more in all the usual places as well.
1: Awesome. I will make sure to link all that stuff in the show notes, because you're definitely going to want to check out his podcast too. It's great. It's phenomenal. He brings some of the best of the best onto his show and the insight that's provided and the wisdom is is life changing. And I just want to encourage all that are listening to this to not only buy Dr. Chatterjee's book, but to give his podcast a listen Follow what he's doing on social media because he's very passionate about making a difference in people's lives, which I think is something that's very inspiring. And I think, as always, we'd love to hear your feedback on what you thought of this episode, what you learned. So, if you, if this really touched your heart, if you could take a screenshot, tag Dr. Chatterjee, tag myself with a takeaway maybe it was a tip he shared on the improving the why you eat like how to deal with the stress in your life like how to maybe it was like something he said with the workouts maybe it was the journaling the reflection or maybe it was just a tip he shared on the what to eat how not the one-size-fits-all approach that how it's not a one-size-fits-all approach it's kind of what works better for you whatever it is screenshot it share a takeaway tag us we'd love to hear from you and once again thank you for listening to this episode of the adversity advantage i'm your host Doug Bopes.